really excited to be here this morning and share with you. If you're new, my name is Josh. Uh, my wife and I moved here from Southern California 10 years ago, and the church, uh, Mercy Road Family of Churches, was started in a house about four minutes from here. And it's incredible to see what God is up to. And you see those uh, pastors up there and you see the videos of those church buildings and those locations and those people. And, you know, in the middle of COVID, uh, most churches I was talking to were getting about 20% of people coming back to buildings. And while we have a lot of people still attending online and continue to do that, we see you. We're thankful for that. Uh, But for those who do come to the buildings, we've been more like at 50% at our different locations coming back. But the big thing is Northeast that just launched uh, three weeks ago, they have more than twice what we were hoping to have there before COVID hit. So it's incredible. Uh, We've actually uh, had a record attendance last weekend in the middle of a global pandemic, uh, at least for having at all the locations, the total attendance. So just really cool what God is doing. And they're doing baptisms this morning over at Northeast. So you, you may not always get to see it, but God is on the move and it doesn't take professional Christians. There's nothing special about me or Eric Maitland. That's why we believe in teams here because God is real. He is living and active. He's on the move and he's going to change the course of human history in our lifetime if we allow him to. And I believe that in the middle of the crazy year of 2020, there's no better time than to become fully alive followers of Jesus. That's why we entitled this teaching series through the letter of Colossians, uh, the Time to Live Again teaching series, Come Fully Alive in Christ. That we as Christians aren't gonna stick our head in the sand and just avoid everything going on around us. We're also not gonna become the angry Christian that everyone's wrong, everyone's the problem. We're gonna be transformed by the love of Christ and change the lives around us, amen? Amen. So I invite you, power on your Bible or turn in the one in your book rack to Colossians uh, chapter two, beginning in verse six. As you're turning to Colossians two, just a couple of things. We say it every week, if you are new, I would love to meet you right afterwards. I'm gonna be at the guest center in the lobby Come by, we have a free mug just for coming today, and we just want to say thanks. I'd love to get to know you. I'd love to have you come join us at our first step class that's coming up soon. And for those online, you've heard this every week as well, but we genuinely want to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So wherever you're at spiritually, if you felt uncomfortable joining in a place like this or in gathering online, uh, thank you. Thank you. And in a culture where people don't do that today, I believe that God sees what's going on and you can go to him with your hard questions, which is really what this morning is all about. See, uh, I almost got in an argument at a preschool soccer game yesterday. (laughs) Anybody been to preschool soccer? Yeah, fun times. And I've talked about my son Jet a little bit. Uh, There was a kid on one of the other teams that decided that rather than trying to kick the ball, that they would just run around and push the other players over. And after a couple of his own teammates even left the game crying, well, one left the game crying, and uh, my son had got pushed over a bunch, I thought I was going to have to hold my wife back. She was going to storm the field. And I found in that moment, I started yelling at a preschool. I'd never done this ever. I I, I argue with the refs all the time because they're wrong. But, you know, preschoolers, I have to make an exception. But I started yelling, hey, tell them to stop pushing. Tell them to stop pushing. And I was like, I had to get up and walk away from the preschool soccer game. So I just want to tell you, if you're struggling to follow Jesus during the crazy, anxious season we're living in, I'm right there with you. And I want to talk today about how the Apostle Paul tells us to to not be deceived, 
to give in to distractions around us in the world. And he talks to both extremes. He talks not just to syncretistic practices that we addressed last week and we'll conclude with again today, bringing in other religions and other worldviews and creating our own religion. But the other side of that, the legalism that you can often find within Christianity that in that day was legalistically practicing this Jewish belief system, that he addresses both ends of the spectrum to say all of us have missed the point that Jesus, God, is present with you wherever you're, whatever you're facing. If you're at a preschool soccer game, I felt the conviction of the Lord in that moment I needed to do something here. And I want to share it with you today that this may be a hard message, a blunt message, and I'm okay with that because I believe this passage in scripture, Paul is speaking to the church in Colossae about some really hard stuff. Little background, if you missed the first two weeks of the teaching series, we talked about this is a a literal church in this smaller town, about 50,000 people named Colossae. It was about 100 miles east of uh, Ephesus. And Paul is writing from a prison cell in Rome, one of his later letters to the church in Colossae, to a, uh, a guy named Epaphras. Epaphras had come to Christ in Ephesus. He had gone 100 miles to the east and started churches in the Lycus River Valley in uh, the towns of Hierapolis, Laodicea, which is the largest of these three, and then Colossae. And in Colossae in particular, there were all kinds of religious beliefs and practices, and the Christians were being deceived and following false teachings. And so he's going to tell them the importance that they don't get this stuff wrong because God is real. And the big thing I want to share with you today is it's that I believe the time is now to know Jesus, like really know him. Some of us have been around church and we grew up in Christianity and somehow we're Christian through the act of osmosis, but we don't genuinely have a relationship where we converse with the almighty. And I think we're missing out that we need to know Jesus and that instead of that, we need to avoid deception that for so many people today, including in that culture, that they didn't really know Jesus because they got deceived by so many things around them. Are you ready to study God's word together, church? Come on, it says this in verse six. uh, So then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. He says it's so important in Colossae, and I believe today, that you are rooted in Christ. That you have a knowledge of Jesus crucified on the cross, resurrected from the grave, overcoming sin and death. That he ascended to the right hand of the Father, that the Holy Spirit, the advocate, was given to Christians on the day of Pentecost. That no longer was the Spirit of God in a building. The temple curtain was torn in two in the Gospel of Matthew, it says, that the Spirit of God wasn't in the Holy of Holies in a box anymore. It was now, the temple was now our bodies. We are the the temple of the Holy Spirit, it says. And that he said earlier in the letter to the Colossian church that we represent the body of Christ today. His physical body ascended to the right hand, so we represent the body of Christ as followers of Jesus, that we might be the only Jesus anybody ever sees. And that the head... The controlling that that determines our actions as the body of Christ is Jesus. He makes that very clear in the letter to the Colossian church. So we must be rooted in him so that we understand where he's going. But then look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. 
You know, in today's culture, right now, you could get on YouTube, search whatever belief you already have, and you could find some crazy belief or video that will get you to be determined that you are right in what you already believe before you watch their video to begin with. And that in our culture, so many Christians have gotten deceived in turn to false religious beliefs simply because we don't understand God's word and we are deceived by hollow philosophy as he is discussing here. Now, you may not think that's a big deal, okay? But I actually, I was supposed to preach at Northwest this morning and I told them this was the one passage in the six-week series that I really wanted to share on. I believe in the culture around us, this may be one of the most important things during this season of the American church for us to address. To not give in to hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. What are elemental spiritual forces? Scholars debate this a little bit, but they essentially uh, most come to the conclusion that this is a reference to deceptive, that the enemy, Satan, and his demons are deceptive. And that demonic forces, whether you have really come to the conclusion that that is a very real thing in Scripture or not, it is clearly apparent all over the New Testament. And that those spiritual forces, these demonic forces, the way that they often get to us is to deceive us through all kinds of belief systems in our culture. He was doing it to the church in Colossae, and Paul is warning them. And the question I want to ask as we get into this is, are you, this is the important thing, are you rooted in Christ? Do you have a cognitive understanding of what the New Testament teaches and the resurrection of Christ and the significance in, in the world? And that Jesus said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And then do you take it a step further? Being rooted in Christ is just not having a cognitive belief. The word in the New Testament for believe or to have faith, right? John three sixteen. for whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life. The word believe there is the Greek word pisteo, which means to believe or have faith or to trust. So in other words, you cannot believe cognitively in your head and not trust him with your life. To trust him with your life requires that you know him. You talk to him, you commune with him, you have relationship with him. And that's where I find many of us, we are Christian because we grew up a particular way or because we believed something cognitively in our head, but not because we've actually gotten to know Jesus. And that's at the heart of what I'd love to discuss. Ooh, I told you it's going to be intense this morning. We pray, Lord, uh, we love you. We declare you, Lord, take my words away. Whatever through your word is real and authentic and truth-filled, uh, we pray that you would speak to our souls. I thank you for all these people, I mean, just coming out today and the many people online right now. Maybe somebody clicked on here right now and they don't even know why they're here. And you've supernaturally placed us in this moment, in this time. Speak to us. We acknowledge your presence here. Holy Spirit, move. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. Anybody been to Disney World before? The happiest place on earth? Yeah, okay. Well, when I was a kid, apparently my, my parents were cheap. They took me to Sesame uh, Street Land. Anybody been to Sesame Street Land? No one. No one at this entire... One person. Thank you. Thank you. Two, no, you're just... You're being nice. You didn't actually go there. Okay, you did. Okay. Thank you. Two people. That's great. Langhorn, Pennsylvania. I went to Sesame Street Land. 
I thought it was the coolest thing. Bert and Ernie were there. So it was uh, Big Bird. I mean, they were all there, even Oscar the Grouch. I'd always thought he was the coolest. I don't know what you guys got against him. But, you know, when I went there, they had all these fun things to do. But one of the big things that they had there at the park was this uh, large multi-layered structure that was a, a maze for kids to crawl through with tubes and all kinds of stuff. You know what I'm talking about? It's humongous. Hundreds of kids could get lost in there at one time. Fantastic. Some architect thought it was a good idea. I know, let's create this maze for little children to play in and so they would get lost. And then once they're inside there and they can't figure out how to get out, we will dump loads of water on top of them so that they could suffocate to death and their parents won't know that it happened. Well, I'm up there, I'm like six years old and I'm going through the tubes and everything. I didn't think I was claustrophobic, but then I got stuck. I couldn't figure out how to get out Big kids were coming at me both ways. Water's dumping on top of me. I'm freaking out and I'm having a panic attack right there at Sesame Street Land. <laughs> and what I, I want to tell you, one of the things I've seen this year between quarantine and the stress of work and then you throw in this year's fun election, wasn't Tuesday night a load of laughs? <laughs> Anybody? Some of you got done afterwards, thought, do we really need a president this year? You just move on? You know, and I, I want to uh, tell you, like, I get the stress, the anxiousness, the anxiety that this season has created for many people. And, and I find that we don't know where to turn. And, and rather than turning to the Lord, I, I see many people turning away because we begin to have doubts and we begin to have fears. Uh, we may have not seen this to the full extent, but many churches across the country, as I've seen the statistics by May, most people who had been attending church services, many of them were no longer attending online and they were not going to come back to a building despite going to other public places where people are gathering. And I'm not trying to twist arms or say, you know, like I'm just, I'm saying that that's the reality of this year and the Christian, the American Christian church. And I wonder for some people, if they just got to a point, if I'm being real, we can be real, right? Like this got to a point, is it really worth it? Because I kind of like going to my kid's sport thing and this other place. I got to go to the grocery store. But for some people, church was essential and some people it, it was not. See, at the heart of what I believe Paul's getting at to the Colossian church is that if you don't stay focused and rooted in Christ and in his word and understanding him, if you get distracted by all the philosophies and the things that today we can watch online and get us confused and ask questions and, and begin to doubt. And there's no problem. Everybody's going to doubt at some point, but it's what we do with the doubt that matters. Do we, do we turn to the Lord? Do we turn to wise Christian counsel? Do we turn to the Bible? Do we turn to historical interpretations of scripture? Do we, there are really, really, really smart people who spent their entire life studying the New Testament and the Old Testament and writing deep theological books, so deep most people in this room couldn't even probably comprehend some of the academic nature of what's occurring there. And that's not a critique of you, I'm just being honest. So when we say that, well, there's no answers, we, most people just never search it out. And the reason I think that's so important, like me as a kid in Sesame Street land, I think some of us got so anxious and so worried, and we have just been so fraught, we've just avoided thinking about God and what he's doing this year. And I believe it's the most important time for us to become fully alive followers of Jesus. It's time to live again. It's time to live this out and not be deceived, to know Jesus fully 
and be known by him. If you're taking notes, see, I noticed a word here in verse eight I had never caught before. And we're gonna get into the, the scripture passage a lot more in depth now. Colossians two, verse eight, this stuck out to me. See to it that no one takes you captive. I always knew it said, don't be uh, you know, deceived by these elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than Christ. But I never noticed that it said, don't let it take you captive. And that's what it can feel like sometimes when the enemy in his work has taken you captive and gotten you distracted and the anxiety and worry that it experiences as a child. I believe some adult Americans and even global, America, or global Christians have experienced that this year. And it's not just in the area of, of theological beliefs, but things that are practical in our lives. We have given into worldly views of sex and dating and money and marriage. And, and these things we think they're making us happy eventually make us captive and we become jaded and frustrated and angry at God and become angry at the local church. And rather than turning to God, we turn away from him. See, what I want to share this morning is how to break free from spiritual captivity that Paul writes to the church in Colossae. And the first point I want to make is this. Jesus must rule your life. He must rule your life. If you can't begin there, the rest of this is worthless. Jesus must rule your life. Look at verse nine. He says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He was fully God. So like the, the idea that many profess today, which wasn't back, that different back then, that you could say, oh, he's a great teacher. He's a really wise person. Well, he said he was fully God. Uh, Paul calls him the fullness of the deity. So if, if you're like, he's just a good teacher, but he's not really God, and I don't believe the whole story and all, all the eternally begotten son, I don't believe all that stuff. Well, well I, you know, C.S. Lewis said this to say, he said, then you have to make a choice. Either, either Jesus was a liar, he was lying about what he said, or he was a lunatic, he's just crazy, right? Or he is Lord. You have a choice to make. He's either liar, the lunatic, or he's Lord because he claimed to be God incarnate. Paul here writes that he was the fullness of the deity. And he says that because these mystery cults at that time were saying that, well, he was just one form of, we got lots of forms of the deity, lots of ways to God because of the things going on in Colossae in that day, not too different than today. He goes on in verse 10. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He's the head. He is the head over power, uh, uh, over every power and authority. Is Jesus the head in your life over every power and authority? Or there are things in your life that have authority over God. The Bible calls that idolatry. And, and that was a pagan practice that was very common in their day. Paul says, not so in Christ. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Little offshoot to our discussion here. Uh, Paul tells him here that it used to be circumcision that meant you were part of the family of God, that you have submitted to God Almighty. But now he says there is a spiritual circumcision of your flesh has occurred, that you have died and no longer live, but you, the life you live is through faith in the Son of God, Galatians 2.20. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Like God is at work in you. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so if you are living in this way, and if you have surrendered to him, the way you acknowledge that publicly, the way that you demonstrate that to your friends and family is to be baptized. 
Now, when you get baptized, it's not like then all of a sudden you earned a salvation. You can't earn your salvation. It comes from Christ alone. That's why he says that there's a spiritual circumcision going on here. But no longer is circumcision the acknowledgement that you're part of God's family. A baptism is. It represents that you have literally died with him and you have risen with him. The way you are raised with him is to be buried with him. And so simple question, I asked it at a birthday bash. We're gonna be doing baptisms in the near future here. Just, I, I couldn't teach this passage and I'd ask the question, have you been baptized? Because if you're a Christian, uh, Jesus told us to be baptized. He said it's the example to be baptized and no one doesn't give you salvation, but it's the way that you acknowledge that you are a part of the family of God. If you've never been baptized or you'd like more information about that, we'd love to help you with that that we must make, let Jesus rule in our life. And the way we demonstrate that we've been buried with him and risen with him is through baptism. That's also the way we fight back spiritually. That's why we're doing these quarterly worship events. And I believe God knew all this stuff was gonna happen. He told us to do this year of worship, even though we didn't understand it at the time, that it's a great way to orient ourselves around Jesus as the ruler and reign of our life. We were supposed to have one of them tonight outdoors at Northwest, but due to the weather, we've postponed it till next Sunday, October 11th, again at 5 p.m. So come fight back spiritually with us at Northwest Outdoors. Today, it's a, it said 75 and mostly sunny next Sunday at that time. So be there, man. It's going to be a blast. Whew. Second point. So if Jesus rules in your lives, the second point is this. You got to resist legalism. Now, most of us would jump to where he goes next, which is syncretism and you know, the worldly beliefs that are out there. But he actually first addresses legalism in their culture. Look at, look at verse 16. Now, some of you are gonna go, dude, you skipped 13 to 15. I did, and it was intentional because we're gonna end with it and I'm gonna come back to verses 13 to 15. I think it's incredibly significant. But verse 16, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. See, the Pharisees in their day, and we've got Pharisees today, they just look a little different. They were the ones that said there is very distinct rules and we know whether you know God or not. And the way we know that is you have to practice these festivals and you have to practice a legalistic Sabbath day. And you know, you need to practice all of these Jewish customs that we have participated in. And while Jesus was God incarnate and you believe that as a Christian, you need to practice these in order to really you know, honor God in your life. Now, I love all that stuff. We did a, a, a fun teaching series on the Jewish festivals and how they all point to Jesus. And I believe that you should practice the Sabbath day of rest. We do it Friday from six to Saturday at six. But do not mistake that, that somehow if you practice that legalistically, that that's the only way that God is pleased. Paul tells us in the letter to the church in Galatia that in one of his first letters that you have freedom in Christ. The beautiful thing is, I believe the, the Ten Commandments are, are God's word and the, I love the Old Testament and it should be followed. But we live under a new covenant while today we should still live in a way that honors the things in the past. Look what it says here in the next verse. It says, these are a shadow. The, the, those old things are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. That Jesus told us he came to fulfill the law, not to destroy the law. In other words, we could look back at the law in the Old Testament and these Jewish practices 
and we could go, okay, this is pointing to Jesus, and they set the tone for some standards in our life, but now we have freedom in Christ to go, okay, on this day of the Sabbath day of rest, if the Lord is communicating that I need to go help this person, I don't need to be legalistic about it, I should just go and honor the Lord and what he's asking me to do, but you have to have a relationship with them to do that. And so Paul's trying to communicate that to this church. He goes on and says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. <laughs> it gets really harsher. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions about their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head. Remember, the head is Jesus, from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. That when we get into these legalistic practices, rather than uh, being connected to the head, which is Jesus, we just have got connected to a bunch of rules. By the way, it's not just uh, Old Testament law that, that Christians for 2,000 years have gotten legalistic about. We got plenty of Christian Pharisees today. You know what they're like. They're like, if you follow these rules, we know if you're Christian or not. If you, you know don't drink or smoke, you don't date girls who do, then you're in. But if you do it, going to hell, I know it. And we get into these situations where we cause ourselves to be determining people's eternal salvation. How horrible is that? Jesus tells us not to, we're not the judge, he is. We must be connected to the head. And look, I believe uh, smoking and drinking and doing things like that are bad and they're destructive to your life. And there's a lot of New Testament passages about that. But don't mistake that for, I just have to follow these rules and regulations and now I'm in. You need to know Christ and him crucified and resurrected from the grave. You need to know him in his word, spend time in prayer with him. It's him that saved us. It's him that brings eternal salvation. And we have to resist legalism that has creeped into many American churches. And you, I believe, and this is just me, you don't have to agree with this. I believe you can also see that in anger. When you see this anger towards people, rather than trying to transform them, they're just angry and want to prove them wrong. I think you see the false humility that Paul said there in those verses, that I'm the self-righteous one. I've got it figured out. I've got the right answers. Just come and ask me. Christians, we have to know that real Christians are not just people who follow a list that have false humility, they, that think that if I do holy actions, I, I get in. But it's that if Jesus Christ is fully indwelling me, those holy actions come. I bear fruit, as we said the first week of this teaching series. So when we become fully alive followers of Jesus and he's working in us, it will pour out and it will bear fruit in our life. When we're connected to the vine, there's going to be fruit grow on the vine. But it's not because you just follow these rules. So Paul tells him, you got to resist this legalistic practices and thinking that that somehow is Christianity. But then... He gets into the, the third point I want to make. We must resist the rules of this world, which is kind of a strange statement. But, but look what Paul says in the last few verses here of this section, verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of the world, you've been buried with Christ, you've risen with him, you followed him in the act of baptism, and the spiritual forces of this world cannot reign over your life anymore. God and, and demonic forces are not on the same plane angels were created by God and fallen angels became demonic. And he says that they're not on the same plane and the elemental spiritual forces have no rule. 
Instead, why, as though you still belong to the world, do submit to its rules? Submit to its rules. And I find the other extreme of this, rather than legalism, we can often have already established beliefs on issues of sex, sexuality, money, power, political questions. And we have these already established set of beliefs and we try and take scripture and we try and take God and we force him to fit into our already established beliefs rather than adapting our beliefs to what he says to us in his word. And if this year has shown us anything, the idolatry of the elephant and the donkey is alive and well today. And rather than the submission of the lordship of Jesus, first and foremost, many of us as Christians, and look, have strong political beliefs, go and vote. We talk about that all the time. But I'm just trying to say that for many of us, we must go, where is our first priority? And how do we get to know him? We must search out his word. We must spend time in prayer with him and resist the rule of this world that wants to distract us. Look as he goes on, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teaching. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility. This is the other form of false humility and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And we all know what we're talking about when we say sensual indulgence, right? The lust of the eyes, the flesh, and the pride of life that 1 John talks about. These temptations that can draw us away from the Lord, hold us in captivity. And synchronistic worldviews uh, get us to believe these uh, different already established things, whether from other religions or other philosophical backgrounds, or, you know, I mentioned the political thing, but it also goes into every practical area of our life that the enemy is trying to deceive us so that we would be captive to him. Syncretism I defined last week as the amalgamation or attempted amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. We need to know that the Bible is what we base our life on, not you know, superstitious things that we can find online or worldly knowledge that we, ha- we have. Now, as a Christian, we g- God gave us a brain, use it. <laughs> well, I believe in science, I believe all these things. What I'm saying is that what he's telling the church in Colossae, they had these mystery cults that were occurring where you could worship this false god Mithra, uh, Mithraism, excuse me, and you would uh, participate in this religion and you would cut yourself up and there would be sexual actions that you would do and, and it would be these false worship uh, examples. And then they would come back and they'd say, but I'm still a Christian. And, and you know, today we could take different uh, Hindu uh, beliefs, we could take different Islamic beliefs or Mormon beliefs or Buddhist beliefs or whatever it is, and we can combine it with Christianity and we can select the things online that we want and get rid of the things that we don't like about Christianity and we end up creating our own religion and we're not resisting the rules of the world, we're behaving by them. Rather than turning to God, a real relationship with him, we're trying to create a worldview that we like before we even believed. I think it's dangerous. You see these common syncretistic practices of these different religions or Jesus is a good teacher, but he's not fully God. His sacrifice is meaningless if he wasn't God incarnate. Anselm made that very clear centuries ago. You could go beyond that. I mentioned prophetic word superseding scripture was a her- heresy that came from this town, Colossae. 
The Phrygian heresy was that I could hear a word from God, and even though it contradicts scripture, I could go you know, sleep with my relative because I heard from God that that's good. No, God's not gonna tell you a, a word that is contrary to what the Bible teaches you. And often we don't understand this stuff because we don't take the time to understand the historicity of it. I'm gonna give you kind of first some like academic big stuff for the nerds out there. If you nerd out on this stuff, I wanna give you the most boring book in the world you will ever read. Uh, the most boring book, I'm telling you, it's two volumes, it's humongous, it's by Kenneth Scott Latourette, and it's called The History of Christianity. It's humongous, but it goes through all of the history. There's two huge volumes, all of the history of the early church, the medieval church, the Protestant Reformation, the modern church. It goes through all of these things and explains how Christians made decisions over time. And then you could get into studies of histor uh, historical theology of how Christianity developed their belief systems and all of those things. And I believe that we have to first understand God's word. And if you're like, well, how do you know what's true and what's not true? I'm gonna give you some really simple things that anybody can use. Even if you're not gonna read a book like that, uh, how do you know the Bible, uh, the right teaching of the Bible? You can do the simple thing of doing this acronym of SOAP, Scripture, uh, Observe, Apply, Pray. And the, the one that we always skip over as Christians is observe. What did this mean in its original context? We usually jump right to apply. And the danger in that is you have your 21st century, I have my 21st century beliefs, and so I find it in God's word and then I interpret it according to that, rather than going, what did this actually mean when it was written? And then how can I apply that to my life? And then pray and some free online resources to help with this. I'll leave this up here as I continue to talk, but I'm gonna read them quickly. Bible.com or the Version Bible app. Get a good study Bible. Uh, the NIV study Bible is what we've given to a lot of new Christians. The blueletterbible.org, biblegateway.com, biblehub.com, a neat one, gotquestions.org. I don't always agree with every theological belief there, but it's some really good stuff. And then literally every question you've got, you go to gotquestions.org, it's gonna give you a pretty practical answer that is at least rooted in some historical Christian beliefs. Uh, netbible.org, uh, logos.com. That's something I have on my laptop. I've had for, I don't know, 20 years when it first came out, 15 years, whatever it was. And you can get whole a library of resources on there. And so I've got a, a number of commentaries that I've purchased over the years that I can reference on all those scriptures from people who have done this before me. These kinds of things are how Christians figure out, am I falling prey to syncretistic, uh, you know, philosophical and religious worldview of the day? creating my own religion or am I giving into legalism that wasn't really the heart of what Jesus was communicating in his word? And you can study these over time. And the reason this is significant, as we close out our time, I find that for many of us, the anxiety that we are experiencing this year is exacerbated because we feel like God is far from us rather than near us. And back in May, uh, you know, I actually went to the doctor. Thank you for those who have been praying for me. So far, everything has come back benign, and I'm super uh, thankful for that. I have, you know, one final report I hope to get this week, uh, but it looks like somehow I got an infection in my stomach that all the stress of this spring just made it way worse. And so I realize I'm no different than any of you in this room or online. This year has been one of anxiety and worry and anger 
But let us not be deceived and fall prey to captivity of the elemental spiritual forces. God is not far from you. He is near to you. And he made that clear. You may have come in here and say, yeah, but when it comes to dating and sexual practices and money and all this, I don't honor him. I don't, he would never love somebody like me. I want you to know what he did on the cross and why it's important to know God's word and how you could draw near to him. Look what he says in these three verses. Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. You didn't do it. You didn't earn it. I know you messed up. He says, when you were dead in your sins, I made you alive in Christ, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Two things. That charge of legal indebtedness was a legal term. Literally, it meant to be expunged. It was an accounting term. They would write accounting things in ink. And when you were to erase that debt, they would take a sponge and they would place it in a solution and they would completely erase it. It would be gone. It would no longer exist. He says that your sin, your wrongdoing, if you turn to him, has been completely expunged. It is gone. Your legal indebtedness is not there any longer. It's why in John 19, when he is on the cross with his last words, Jesus says, to tell us it's paid in full. He paid the debt. It's over. You don't have to try and earn it with your legalism anymore. But he doesn't stop there. He says in verse 15, those elemental spiritual forces that seem to be ruling and distracting you and leaving you in captivity, anxiety, and worry, he has disarmed the powers and authorities. And he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. He says, I didn't just save you. I didn't just take away your legal indebtedness. He said, we were up 57 to nothing today like the Colts over the Chicago Bears. He said, we left the starting quarterback in there just to run up the score a little bit. Make a public spectacle of all those elemental spiritual forces that have been ruling your life. It was not going to happen any longer. All that it requires of us is to turn to him and to submit to his lordship, to stop giving in to the two extremes of legalism or syncretism and instead get to know Christ crucified, resurrected from the grave, study his word, have a real relationship with him. If you would like to open yourself up to that, whether for the first time, you're like, this year, I've just gone astray. I've gotten distracted. I want to hit to put my head in the stand. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to come fully alive in Christ. It's time to start living again as a follower of Jesus. I want to give the opportunity to surrender everything to the Lordship of Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for everybody here and attending online. And whether it's for the first time or whether to recommit their life fully to you in the middle of a crazy year, to know that you are near and not far from us when we turn to you, even when we don't feel you. If that's you here in the room or online, I invite you to pray this silently as I pray out loud. God, I confess I need you. Forgive me for my wrongdoing and turning from you. I receive your forgiveness. I repent of my sin. And I surrender my life fully to you, Jesus. We love you, God, and we give you our lives. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen.